Absolute Zero by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 2. Would you give him a pardon? The governor knows if he pardons Newman, he'll lose the election hands down. Would you? Would I what? asked Phillips. Would you give him a pardon? demanded the old man as if Phillips were governor. I, 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 don't, I don't know replied Phyllis, as if he had not thought about the issue at all. He turned away from the old man and wandered into the crowd. Circling around, he finally stopped and looked up to the platform and waited for something to happen. The whole scene was so out of context with his usual lifestyle that he felt apprehensive. Dumb, stupid, idiot! shouted a large woman in tight-fitting jeans behind his shoulder. Phillips wondered what he had done and he turned to the lady, rubbing his ear. Me? What did I do? He asked with a bewildering expression on his face. I don't know. What did you do? She asked sarcastically. You just called me an idiot, he exclaimed. Not you, pal. Ingersoll! She snapped, shaking her head, and she walked away from him. Now how am I supposed to know that? Asked Phillips, gesturing with his hand. The rally had been a diversion, but not in the way he had planned. He decided to make his way back to his car, when the young woman in the red jersey caught his eye. She was talking to several men who, from their notebooks and recorders, appeared to be reporters. He studied her bushy brown hair and slender frame. She had a quick smile and bright eyes, the color of which he had not noticed. As the men bid goodbye, he mustered up enough courage to go over and talk to her. He had taken but one step when a middle-aged man in a gray hat and brown baggy pants darted in front of his path. Hey, Jack! She yelled to the man as she grabbed his arm. Not now, Darby, not now, Darby. I'm on to something big, really big, he said, moving his cigarette with every syllable. You're always on to something big, Jack. What is it this time? Phillips moved in closer as the man lowered his voice. What I've got, Darby, my girl, will shake this country upside down and back again, he said with fire in his gray eyes. Another one of those stories, she snickered. Oh, go ahead, laugh. He warned and he squeezed back into the crowd. You'll see, you'll see. Phillips walked up to the reporter as she watched the man push through the people. He looked in a hurry, Darby, said Phillips. How'd you know my name? She smiled and she looked over at him. Phillips looked into her eyes, blue. I mean, I overheard the guy talking. Oh, well, well, he mentioned your name. Oh, she answered, he's a jerk. I never paid much attention to him. He works for the National Fact Finder. Most of what he prints is non-factual, to put it mildly. Are you covering this execution? Asked Phillips. Indirectly. She said as she looked down at his diamond-studded wedding band. I'm here because Carey's coming here. Brian Carey, the baseball player? No, Father Carey, the village vicar. Of course, Brian Carey. Told you I work for Baseball News. Darby O'Malley, around the diamond, she said as Phillips shook his head. Never read the column, eh? Nope, I haven't read the column, he answered as she smiled. Well, what's your name? My name's Gary Phillips. I live right here in Craigville, said Phillips. Oh, come over to protest the great injustice of it all, she asked cynically. Funny, you don't look like one of those diehards. Oh, very perceptive, smiled Phillips. To tell you the truth, I had an argument with my wife and I decided to come out here. I thought it would take my mind off my problems. Yeah? Well, Gary, I can tell you that this is the last place I want to be. If you know anything about Kerry, and you know he's stuck his nose into about every social issue you can think of. Now he's into this. God help the owners of that baseball team he plays for. This place is strange, remarked Phillips. 
Oh, it gives me the willies, said Darby as she looked back to the dirt road. Carrie's flying in from Miami. Plays for the Miami Tropics. Should be here in a short time. I've got to go, she said as she held his hand briefly. Thanks again for helping me with my papers, she added, and she let go of his hand and headed for the road. My pleasure, Phillips yelled to her as he grinned. He was still ecstatic as he turned with some commotion to his left, found himself staring into a live television camera. Hello, I'm Steve Robbins. Uh, we're gauging the opinions of people here today for Channel 7 News. Uh, can I have your name, please? Um, Gary Phillips. Mr. Phillips, do you think that the intentions of the death penalty law have produced the desired results in the country today? Phillips was taken aback by the fact that his image was now being beamed to thousands of people. Well, I really haven't thought about the true intentions, he said, thinking out loud. Of course, the whole scenario we're watching here today could be considered morally reprehensible. Yes, but is the law working, Mr. Phillips? Badgered the reporter. The question, I believe, is academic in light of the flagrant disregard for human life. On both sides, he lectured, asking himself how he'd been cornered into such an untenable situation. Are you involved with the life movement? I work for the Donnelly and Quigley Agency in Craigville, replied Phillips, wishing he hadn't said that. Very good, thank you, Mr. Phillips, said Robbins as he moved on. Phillips cringed as he realized the implications of what he had just said. Donnelly would be furious, not only because of the opinions expressed, but because he had announced the name of Donnelly and Quigley over the air. The picture on thousands of television sets flashed from the shaky close-up of the demonstration to a long shot of the hills and the heavily fortified prison with the barbed wire. The audio portion was overlapped by the voice of another reporter who was in a booth outside the main protest area. Thank you, Steve Robbins, for those spontaneous interviews. We are, of course, looking at the state prison at Craigville on the outer fringes of this small New Jersey town of Craigville. If you're just joining us, this is Channel 7's exclusive coverage of the execution of Willie Newman. Newman is a self-confessed murderer of a grocery store owner, and he was convicted and sentenced to death in the electric chair some 30 days ago. The group of demonstrators in the lower portions of your screen have come here from around the country and the world to protest what is about to take place here this evening. Most are members of a group called Life. Let injustice finally end. And their efforts today would be in vain unless a pardon or heavenly miracle takes place within the next 15 minutes. The image of a sprightly young newscaster in a three-piece suit and neatly styled hair was superimposed over the prison scene. Good evening, I'm Harry Shaw, reporting this evening on the 35th execution in the United States since the enactment of the Capital Punishment Act of over a year ago. Willie Newman, the man who says he wants to die, will be sent to the electric chair just minutes from now. A last-minute request for a pardon was sent by Newman's lawyer to Governor William Ingersoll. However, if the past is any reflection of the future, that pardon will be turned down. The governors of the... Shaw paused when he heard instructions being piped into his earpiece, and he raised his hand in order to hear the message more clearly. He looked toward the protesters and then spoke into the camera. We have uh, just received word that life leader Max Krieger has been in contact with Willie Newman's lawyers concerning the pardon request. Krieger, you can see him in the right of your screen, is making his way through the crowd. We do not know what the result of his consultation has been. Said Char as his image was removed from the screen and the camera zoomed into the platform area. A slender bald man dressed in jeans and a murky gray suit coat stepped onto the platform. 
He bowed his head as he trudged up to the microphone. In his trembling hands, he held some notes, and the crowd was hush as he finally lifted his head up to speak. I have just talked to uh, attorney Alan Wright. At, at 5.45 Eastern Daylight Time, Governor William Ingersoll denied the final request for a pardon. As the crowd responded, Craig's last words were smothered by the collective disapproval from the unbelieving crowd. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, if I could just have some order here, I want to say that I'm sorry that the governor has denied the final request for a pardon to prevent the execution of Willie Newman. Shouted Craig. He put his notes in his suit coat as the people buzzed with indignation and he crunched his narrow nose, attempting to vent his feelings. What this means, ladies and gentlemen, is another human being who we put to death in this country. Maybe I should just say that another human being will also be murdered, compounding the tragedy already thrust upon this community by the death of Chester Johnson. What kind of a people are we that we have performed such a vengeful, barbaric, and inhuman act? Governor Ingersoll, if you are either listening or watching this broadcast, I implore you, for the sake of the dignity of the human race, please let this human being live. Killing Willie Newman is not going to bring back Chester Johnson, nor is it going to relieve, nor is it going to prevent future killings. Please, Governor, let him live. Let him live! He repeated as he motioned for the crowd to join him. As they screamed for justice, Shaw's voice was overdubbed. There you have it. The last minute pardon to Governor Ingersoll has been denied. Unless the governor recants, Willie Newman will be executed in the electric chair some eight minutes from now at 6 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Shaw reached for his headphone and listened once again. We have just been advised by commission officials that they are ready inside the prison. He said as the television picture changed. A long and bleak prison corridor interrupted by three sets of sliding barred doors came over the screens. Once again, we must caution you that this broadcast is intended as a detriment to homicide by the Congress of the United States of America. It is not meant for amusement, nor is it meant for entertainment. Executions are gruesome and ugly sights. If you have children in your home, we urge you to either send them to another room or shut off your set. As Part 2, Section B of the Capital Punishment Act prescribes, the Commission shall provide public access to the execution itself as a clear detriment to future acts of hostility. So once more, we caution you that what you are about to see may be very, very offensive. As Shaw finished his statement, a loud, low-pitched noise like that of a foghorn repeated itself over the airwaves as large block letters flashed on the screen. Caution. Execution imminent. Join us next week for another episode of Absolute Zero by Robert P. Fitton. Produced by Fitton Theatre of the Words.